Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So today, we prayed in the litany of Mary's Magnificat. This is a song that we pray and sing through Advent and Christmastide. I'm not sure, though, if the, uh, the power of these words, the deep faith, the profound courage that Mary offers us has appropriately landed on us. It's an audacious song of hope and resilient trust in the God who will be, act on behalf of his world and on behalf of his people. In the reading that we'll get to next week, actually, but it happens before this, this song, the angel Gabriel came to Mary with a bewildering invitation to bear God's son. And after peppering Gabriel with a few questions, to discern that he really was God's messenger, which seemed like a really wise thing to do, Mary said yes. What would this yes require of her? Would it even mean? What would it cost? But God had spoken and courageous Mary did what every one of us struggled to do, to boldly trust God with our life. Mary, the first disciple, the trailblazer for all of us of the radical yes to God. She had a heart that was both strong and tender, and that's something that we don't put together nearly often enough. Preston Yancey, a friend who pointed me down uh, a trail that I'm going to share with you in a few minutes of some art from the Annunciation said that Mary is the only person in scripture who believes God the first time and says yes. I've actually been racking my brain to, to think if that's actually true. And it, if it's not, it's pretty darn close. It echoes, this song echoes similar themes to Isaiah 61 that we, that we read this morning. It was this powerful word from the prophet to Israel that the spirit of the sovereign Lord, Isaiah says, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Several weeks ago, we read that passage from Isaiah, and then we turn to Luke chapter 4, just a couple chapters after where we are today. And we heard these words from Jesus. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Do you realize how all these things are happening in the power of the Spirit? When you pray for God's Spirit to move, which is what we've been praying in our Advent prayers all this last week, hold on to your horses. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place. He, he went specifically to this place. He looked for it and he put his finger on it and he began to read these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant of the synagogue and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why were they fastened on him? What was it in his voice, in his presence? It surely wasn't an unusual thing to read these words from the prophet, but they were all fastened on him. And he began by saying to them before his teaching, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And do you hear these echoes in Mary's song. Mary, Mary's radical yes to God, the song that she sang, sang expressed her bold willingness to take into her own body what Denise Levertov, the poet, called God's infinite weight and lightness. She goes on to call this, these months of Mary bearing God in her body nine months of eternity. Mary was inviting a weighty responsibility into her life. It was a decision she knew would require a high price, even though she couldn't know what that price would actually be. It was a burden that would be her joy. This radical yes would yield hope for the entire world. Mary is our ultimate example of welcoming God and yielding our life to God, trusting in God in the face of every opposing power and pull and temptation, to trust in God even when the future frightens us and seems impossible. So if we're going to hear this, uh, this song from Mary, right, we need to probably remind ourselves what world Mary was singing this song in. She was singing it in what seemed to everyone to be Herod's world. Herod was a vile tyrant. He had murdered his own sons to stay in power. He taxed mercilessly the poor, those who were barely holding on to their life together just so he could build grand edifices and palaces, and he littered the countryside with these buildings in his honor. Soon Herod would order the murder of every firstborn child in Israel. This was a power monger who would do absolutely anything to hold on to his throne. He'd rig the system so the weak and the marginalized had no recourse. We won't even go into how he was a lackey for the Roman Empire. That's a whole other realm of violence. And then do you hear Mary's song in the middle of that world? 
He speaks of the mighty one, and it's not Herod. She speaks of those who fear this mighty one, not Herod. She speaks about how this mighty one who is coming from God will scatter the arrogant. Who might be included in that? How this mighty one brings down the powerful from their thrones. How he lifts up the lowly. How he fills the hungry. How he sent the rich away empty. How he helped his people. No wonder Herod ordered the murder of every male baby. It wasn't because Herod misunderstood what Jesus came to do. It's because Herod understood exactly what Jesus came to do. Herod knew the truth. This new king is a threat to him and to every human regime. And here we have in this, this beautiful moment we call the Annunciation. The moment where Mary says yes to God, opposing every other power and singing a song of radical trust in this God who would throw down every false power. I spent some time this week and I wanna close by sharing some of it with you and some of the artwork of the Annunciation because we learn the truths of scripture through the words of scripture. We also learn it through the art. We learn it through the images that we're given, the songs that we sing. This image that we've had up today is from the Philippines. There's something that's beautiful that I find about this image, and it's the way that Mary is pondering in her heart. She's holding something close. But, but I've also been pretty captured by the way she's looking off. To me, it's as if she's looking off to God's world. She is casting a wide eye over God's world because she seems to have a sense already that God coming into the world in the incarnation in her own body meant a radical reawakening to all of creation. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> this is uh, uh, another one from, uh, this is Robert Campin in the early 1400s. Most of the uh, works of Annunciation in the Western tradition, Mary is almost always reading a book or there's a book nearby. Mary is a studied woman. She is one who has already had her heart prepared for God because she has been listening to God's voice in the scriptures. You notice in the back, there's a prayer shawl, a Jewish prayer shawl. You see in the back left corner between the two windows, there's rays of light and a cross being carried by an angel into the room. You see the candle starting to to flicker because the angel has begun to speak and the, the angel's words are putting out the, the candle. And you see the, the pages of the scriptures that's laying out there on the, on the table are being rustled. In this picture, you have a woman at work. She is in the work of listening to God. Most often you also find a lily somewhere in the, in the work. It's a sign of purity and goodness. If you go to the next one, this is actually a triptych, and I don't know if sure, you might not be able to see this very well, but on the right-hand side is Joseph in his, uh, in his carpentry shop. On the left-hand side was probably, they say, probably the donor's 
who paid for this piece of the, the patrons <laughs> got themselves painted in, you know, doing the good Christian thing of adoring Christ. But something that I just think is really interesting about this is um, if you look at the window right past Joseph's, um, there's also one standing, sitting right next to his right elbow on the table. It's two mouse traps. They don't know for sure. They think this was um, an ode to Augustine who said that the incarnation was Satan's mousetrap. <laughs> that when Jesus came into the world, Satan and his empire would be crushed. Amen? Let's go to the next one. This is a, an Eastern Orthodox icon, very ancient. I don't know the, the year, but it's really old. You have a lily there. You have Mary holding a book. You have Mary in this, this posture of, of, of strength and prominence. You have John the Baptist speaking, the, the dove descending, and the angel bringing the message. Go to the next one. This one is from India. This is uh, mid-1800s, the best I've been able to tell. You have the books around. You have the angel bringing the message. You have Mary in prayer. Go to the next one. This one is a little fuzzier, I'm sorry. This is an African depiction. This is a beautiful one because you don't have Mary in this, in this telling. You don't have Mary with books. You have her doing the common work of life. And in some of the Western traditions as well, you'll, you'll find not Mary uh, reading a book, you'll find Mary weaving. And it's this, this work of, of, it's not just reading the scriptures that is filled with faith and God's presence in the spirit. It's the everyday work that we're called to do. And in the weaving, it's also uh, weaving the Old and New Testament stories together. But here you have Mary and the angel coming. And it, it almost seems like, like Mary is, I don't know if she's just stopping her work for a moment or if she's offering something to the angel, but I think this is a really beautiful piece. And you have the Spirit of God uh, descending there. If you go to the next one, <clears throat> as best we know, this is the oldest icon we have of the Annunciation. They think this comes from uh, 2nd century, and this was found in the catacombs of Priscilla. And obviously you have the same image uh, that is very similar to the Orthodox image. You can see how it grew from this, of Mary seated at this, at this, uh, this seat and, and the angel coming. If you go to the next one. And this is a really interesting one. This is, uh, which one was this? This is Van Eyck, I believe. Yeah, I deleted the notes. But it's the same idea. You see the, the scriptures. You see um, the, the light descending with the dove coming. Go to the next one where it blows it up. And this is fascinating. The angel you have speaking the word to Mary. And the words are printed there. I'm not sure if you can see them from where you're sitting. But the words are right side up the way you'd expect them to be. But Mary's response, those words are flipped because they're spoken not to the angel, but to God. And so these, these words are going up, and they're, 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 they are Mary's yes to God. Now, <clears throat> you started, you started note, I've started noticing some more recent illustrations. I'll, I'll call them that, illustrations 
of the Annunciation. See if you notice anything different. You can go to the next one. I'm sorry, the next one. Go to the next one. I think this artwork makes a grave error. <clears throat> it casts Mary as someone who's just being overwhelmed. It's almost like she's a victim in some ways. In almost every tradition and almost every painting <clears throat> we have for, I'm going to say, 18 or 1900 years, Mary is a woman of massive courage, faith, and grace. She's someone whose yes to God is said with, as we're going to remember next week, it's, she's bewildered, absolutely. There's some tremble in her heart. But there's deep faith and courage that's offered. Let's move to the next. To the... There's something about this Mary's face that I am so drawn to. There's peace and serenity there, but there is, there is something bold, determined. She's saying yes. Mary is someone who offers us the story of a life that was prepared to listen to God. Mary said yes to God with her heart and with her body. And from Mary's womb, our Savior was born into the world. And God extends an invitation for us to follow Mary. Like her, to say yes to God with our life. To enact a radical trust, a profound hope. To allow God to move into the world again in us. To know that God has come into the world and God is coming into the world again and again and again. And we wait for that day when God finally comes into the world in his final completion. And all of creation will echo Mary's song and say, yes, yes. We pray with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.